What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is the 12th episode of Dart Against Humanity. So when I started this podcast, I think the very first episode, what I did was I decided to just cast away the old incarnation of this podcast when it was supposed to be about music discovery. I didn't want to do a podcast about one subject because I felt that that was going to narrow cast me. That was going to put that was going to put me in a corner that was going to force me to do one thing over and over and over again when the case may be that I wanted to do an episode about something completely different. I want to have the freedom to do whatever I want, whenever I want. And that's something that I've kept alive in this podcast thus far in these last, these previous 11 episodes. I realize that there's some, there some episodes people may like more than others. I totally get that. When I watch a show on Netflix... There might be episodes I like more than others. I might watch an episode. I might go back and watch another one again and again because I like it better. Anthony Bourdain has a has a series. Uh, he goes to different cities. I might be more interested in some places he goes as opposed to others. So I might watch that episode. When Rapture came on Netflix, I looked at the list of the people that were interviewed. I skipped a bunch of episodes. There's some people I just wasn't interested in seeing their episode at all. I don't care what a boogie in with a hoodie does. I don't care about logic. So I skipped those episodes. Conversely, if I'm talking about a subject in this podcast and you don't like that episode as much, I see the numbers. People respond to one episode more than others. I don't trip on that. Because I understand that from my perspective as being a listener or a viewer or someone in the audience. So it's what it is. But the thing is, I'm going to do what I feel like doing at the moment. And I'm not going to apologize for it. And, I don't, and I, I'm not going to apologize for it. I don't expect people to respond to everything the same way is what I'm saying. That being the case, when I laid out what this podcast is going to be, I realized that I was going to have to approach it in a different manner than other people do their podcast or content or whatever you want to call it. I hate the word content, so I have to find other words. It just, it annoys me to use it because again, it's a catch-all word. It has no meaning anymore. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to treat the podcast like a series, whether it's a television series, whether it's a series on a network, a cable network, a regular network, or a show that goes straight to Hulu, cable, Amazon, what have you. I'm going to treat it like seasons. So what I'm going to do is when you get a new when you get a new series, typically you order 13 episodes, you get a 13 episode order. If it does well in a 13 episode order, you order the back nine, the back nine. So it's 22 episodes in the season. Bam, you get those 22 episodes. Then you go from those 22 episodes. Then you have another break and then you have the next season for another 22 episodes. However, how it works on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon or maybe even FX, depending on what the budget is or what the show is, you get 13 episodes per season. So what I'm going to do is after the 13th episode of Dart Against Humanity, I'm going to give people a break. I'm going to allow you to binge the first 13 episodes. I'm going to allow you to pick from the 13 episodes which ones you like and spread it to people if that's what you're going to do. Uh, just do whatever you want with those 13 episodes. I'm going to go live life. I'm going to do some things. Then I'll come back with fresh episodes. As it is right now, I do an episode on average every, what, five days. That's not one a week. That's every five days. When you do one a week, there's a month, there'll be four episodes. When you do an episode on average every five days, that means that depending on the month, there could be six episodes in a month. My podcast is, what, two months old, like just over two months old, and I'm on episode 12 right now. And there are a lot of people that they're still on episode eight or episode seven. Some people have heard every episode. Some people haven't even started episode one yet. Or some people heard episode one and two and are waiting 
to start listening to more because, you know, life. I totally get it. I live life. I run around. I do things, too. So for that reason, I'm going to give people an opportunity to listen to the show. And it's not a matter of numbers or metrics or whatever. I don't really care. To me, it's just a matter of familiarizing people with whatever the hell it is I'm doing. And if there's an audience out there for it, they'll find it. That's pretty much how you have to approach everything. But uh, what I'm going to talk about today is just something that's like really pressing on me recently that I kind of have to talk about. Because the fact of the matter is I can't write about it because no one's going to pay for it. And the only thing I can do is get all this stuff out speaking as opposed to writing. Because if I write about it, I'll probably get carpal tunnel syndrome. And then I'm not going to sit down and write about it if I'm not going to be able to get paid for this labor. So the best thing to do, I decided, fuck it, I'll just do the podcast. And I'm going to discuss it for a part of the podcast. What I'm actually talking about is season two of Luke Cage. Now... I understand that it only came out on Friday. So, again, me, I don't really sleep. I don't have the same kind of responsibilities other people do. 13 episodes is like 15 hours. I could do 15 hours straight like nothing. But everybody else, you know, they have jobs. They have children. They have responsibilities other than that, you know. I don't have those type of things hindering me. I could just pretty much do whatever the fuck I want. I'm in my living room right now, which is also my office. Ain't nobody going to stop me from doing shit. So, I'm going to start talking about my issues with Luke Cage Season 2. I understand everybody hasn't seen it yet. So, I'm going to try to avoid hitting everybody with spoilers like this. Skip to 20 minutes into the episode, starting now. Anyway, so here's my issues with Luke Cage Season 2. Expectations were somewhat high, seeing how uh, Chio decided that he was going to do things a different way coming into the season. He was going to have women direct. He was going to resurrect older characters. He's going to take things a different direction. Now, you have to remember that uh, there, are, there are other shows on television that benefited from Luke Cage existing. For example, Black Lightning. Black Lightning on um, the CW DC show, it took, a lot of el- epi- um, it took a lot of elements from Luke Cage season one. It updated them. And it made them work. You know, Jefferson Pierce being in Freeland instead of Suicide Slum. Uh, The musical guests, the daughters, like all this, all these, all uh, the main villain played by uh, Crondon, Tobias Whale. There's a lot of things that work in it. Some things that kind of, you know, cheesy or whatever, but for the most part it works now you go back to Luke Cage Luke Cage season 1 it was okay but Luke Cage season 1 was probably the worst Netflix MCU show until Iron Fist came out then Iron Fist was just like trash now not to say Luke Cage Season one was trash, but it was the worst of the it was the worst of the series existed. It just was. I mean, you look at Daredevil season one and season two, both spectacular. I think season one was slightly better than season two, but season two was still excellent. Right. Then you come down to. Whatever happened after that. You have Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones season one, amazing. Probably one of the best villains in the entire MCU. You look at the villains that they had in Daredevil. There are several villains, main ones being, of course, the Kingpin, Wilson Fisk. 
He's up there. Then you have like the minor villains, the ones in the hand. Then you come down to the purple man and Jessica Jones. Excellent. Amazing villain. Great first season. So then you have Luke Cage coming up behind all that. Excellence. It fell behind. It definitely was behind all of those series, those seasons. But then it gets saved because Iron Fist comes in and is just pretty much trash all the way through. So that kind of elevates Luke Cage. But the thing is that the, the, the overwhelming blackness of Luke Cage really helped it out. But however, what dropped it, I feel, is when you look at things like um, Black Panther. You watch Black Panther? Black Panther had that black excellence, but on top of it, it was an excellent film. Then it was an excellent superhero movie. It was an excellent blockbuster. And then it hit all these different notes as far as like pop culture are concerned. So it elevated itself. Now that changes the expectations for the second season of Black Panther. What also changes the, episode, uh, the expectations for the second season um, the second season of Luke Cage is the first season of um, Black Lightning. So now Luke Cage is in a precarious situation. Chio has to knock it out of the park. Does he? No. No. Doesn't. First off, let me just say that things that happened... The end results made sense. The end results as a writer, as a fan, as somebody who pays attention to this uh, source material, it all made sense. Luke Cage ending up the person in charge of Harlem's Paradise and kind of being one of the main people holding Harlem together. That's something that I expected to happen. It makes sense. It's kind of like uh, an angel. When Angel kept having to go back and forth, battling with Wolfram and Hart, until finally it was just like, you know what? Why don't you just take over Wolfram and Hart and try to turn it into something good and, and drive the ship and try to make sure that things go the way you want them to go as opposed to always having to oppose Wolfram and Hart. We're going to put you in charge. So that happens in Angel. I think it's the last season, right? So this has also happened in other, in other like comic books. Daredevil takes over the hand, goes to Japan, takes over the hand, comes back from Japan, comes back to Hell's Kitchen, and Daredevil is the head of the hand. That's when the Shadowland series starts. So he tries to drive the hand one way, but what ends up happening is he gets corrupted by the beast, and he turns evil. So everybody, all the like street level heroes have to come and like convince him to you know turn to the other side or they just straight fight him so that includes luke cage iron fist misty knight spider-man like all the all the like the all the like the marvel knights all the usual suspects so of course that made sense him breaking up with uh claire temple Makes sense because he's supposed to run through relationships with Claire Temple, mess around with Misty before Misty ends up with Danny Rand. I don't know if they're going to have Danny Rand and Misty end up together. I feel like they're going to keep Danny Rand with um, Colleen Wing. But so that happens because the end game, of course, is supposed to be Luke Cage with Jessica Jones. They don't want to have that happen off top. I feel like. If they had Luke Cage and Jessica Jones be a couple from the jump and then be a couple all the way through, it might lose people. I feel like he had to go through Claire and Misty and have them be like the defenders click or whatever. And then he ends up with Jessica Jones later on. Totally get it. Makes sense. Uh, I felt like Bushmaster was made sense. To adopt Bushmaster and bring him in. You know, you have Comanche and Shades. These are like the old guys from the comic book. I felt that the introduction of um, DW made sense. 
in the sense that instead of him being the guy, if you, I don't know if you read the old uh, Luke Cage books, I grew up with them, but instead of DW being the guy who runs a, a, the movie theater, which wouldn't make much sense nowadays, DW, and DW was DW Griffith, and he was a white guy. He was a blonde white guy. So they turned DW into a young black dude. And of course, he has a camera, but what he does is he shoots YouTube videos and, and content, online content, probably for like Instagram, what have you. And what he also does is he deals in merch and building a brand. Now, the whole Heroes for Hire thing was always Luke Cage trying to get paid or trying to come up with a way to get paid. It makes a whole lot of sense, especially in this day and age of like content creation and everybody needing, you know, a GoFundMe page or a Patreon page or whatever to, you know, be paid for their services. Because, again, the Heroes for Hire thing isn't an official, official thing. So you got Mr. Fish and Claire trying to figure out ways to get him paid. That totally made sense. I was down for that. Um, the thing is that, okay, so Bushmaster gets introduced. He's Jamaican. Every time some Jamaican folks got on screen, the accents were just too much to deal with. They range from barely tolerable to come on so something cool happened on 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 screen something something clever somebody would say something clever and then something would happen that would make you just suspend belief and groan so there would be a win and then you just lose then it just it just comes right back down it's like oh that was cool uh there's few things weirder than the fact that for everything that happened in the 13 episodes, and I feel like that's too long, the 13 episodes that happened for all, in uh, Luke Cage season two, that one of the things I didn't complain about was Danny Rand. Iron Fist. That was one of the things I didn't complain about. I didn't have an issue with him or his, or his episode. One thing I did have an issue with is that there was only one episode where Misty Knight was with Colleen Wing. I feel as though they she needed to be in more episodes. They really need to explore the beginnings of Nightwing, Nightwing Restorations and the Daughters of the Dragon. That one episode just wasn't enough. They had one episode with Luke working with um, Danny Rand and Iron Fist, Power Man and Iron Fist. We got that, but we got one episode of it. I feel like there needed to be, we need to delve into that more. I think the pacing of that second season, <sighs> left something to be desired there was just too much unnecessary shit going on we needed to get to it more another thing that bothered me is um so i didn't get into punisher punisher had too many unnecessary episodes too many unnecessary characters too much bullshit going on it was too many episodes i think it was 13 episodes we could have done that in eight or nine I think Defenders worked because it was shorter. Was it great? No. But it worked because it was shorter. And they kind of got to the point, even though there was, it took three or four episodes for them to get together because I felt they needed to build that base. And of course, there was a stretch where like they didn't have Iron Fist, which I thought was great. And it worked way better. So Iron Fist was less annoying when he was on screen. When they were together, it did work. But overall, I just feel like Luke Cage Season 2 was a disappointment. It didn't deliver on every level that we would hope they would as fans. And I don't know that Season 3 could be any better. You know? Like, I just feel as though that was the opportunity right there with season two to do what you needed to do to win the hearts and minds of the fandom. It just it didn't work. It's OK, but it had to be better than OK, especially after we just saw Black Panther on the screen and we just got Black Lightning. 
So I'm at 20 minutes and now I'm going to talk about something else. All right. Yeah. So I just finished talking about Luke Cage. I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'm going to have to wait to talk about it on Twitter because the thing is, I'm actually followed by um, the writer and the showrunner. So I'm not tweeting about it that much because it's just going to be a conversation because apparently he's seeing, you know, everybody else's comments about it. And I did write something. I said that like Luke Cage never should have dabbed. And he responded that uh, Michael Coulter made that call. He ad-libbed it and he let him rock with it, which I said, cool. I mean, I totally understand that. There's no way to know if it's going to work with the fans or not until it actually goes live. And you've seen the reaction. So here's the other part. When you look at the MCU and what they're doing with the MCU now. Let's see, uh, the recent jaunts that dropped. I loved what they did with the Runaways. So the Runaways, I believe, what was that Hulu? No, so, no, 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 no. Was it? It wasn't Freeform. No, Freeform has um, Cloak and Dagger. So maybe it is Hulu. But uh, if you're unfamiliar with Runaways, Runaways is a property. It's a comic book. It's about young people from L.A., uh, mutants deals with magic, all this other stuff. Uh, they fight their parents, actually kill their parents, and then they go on the run. All of that shit was not gonna work on television. In the comic book, they confront their parents, they fight their parents, they kill their parents, and then the rest of it is them on the run. What the series did is they broke it down and they said, All right, we're going to make the series about them discovering. The conspiracy with their parents and trying to figure it out together and work through everything together and try to keep keep their parents in the dark that they know about them. Which I was totally down for because that made more sense if you're going to do it on television. The other thing is that there were things that happened in the series that didn't happen in the books. The people who read the books wished they did differently. And they listened to the fandom and they fixed these things and they did them differently in the series. I'm a huge fan of that. I love what they did with season one. I think that the way they executed season one, there's the sky's the limit for how well they're able to you know, execute season two. I think like I have high hopes for what they're going to do going forward as opposed to, you know, sometimes I watch something and I'm like, all right, they have to repair this. Like, for instance, um, Punisher. Again, not into it. I just felt it ran too long. It was just. Get to the point. I like the fight scenes. I like the action scenes. I just felt that there was just a lot of unnecessary shit going on. Now, let's talk about Cloak and Dagger, right? So, one of the things with Cloak and Dagger is... The story... This is a comic book. It's, of course, a comic book. is a property I grew up with. The thing about Cloak and Dagger is Cloak and Dagger is supposed to be a white girl from Florida named Tandy Bowen. She's like a thief, pickpocket con girl scammer she runs away from Florida gets on the bus arrives in New York then there's supposed to be Tyrone Tyrone is a black kid from Boston who gets us in some trouble they list him as being from South Boston that's a mistake he's supposed to be from the south end of Boston they never correct that that's one of the things that is always stuck in my crawl pissed me off they really needed to fix that he was from either the South End or Lower Roxbury as opposed to South Boston. And he runs out of the trouble that he was in and he gets on the bus and, and he gets on the bus, goes to New York, arrives in New York with Tandy. They uh, fall into this thing with the Roxxon Corporation is funding. Uh, they get hit with a drug called D-Light by this villain despair they end up with powers three characters are created in this 
in this part in 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 this um thing. I think it, they they were introduced by uh, Spider Man, right? So three characters were introduced that end up main major Marvel characters, right? You have Cloak, Dagger, and Mister Negative. Now, in this incarnation of Cloak and Dagger, that's on Freeform, which is like a teen drama, romance, action, what have you, right? It's set in New Orleans. So to most of you, that means nothing, right? Taking a major black hero that was a Bostonian off the board that fucks with me it won't fuck with other people because it means nothing to them the representation Bostonians have especially brown ones in media is damn near non-existent so one of the main characters that people identified with from here was always Cloak now Cloak is a teenage black kid from New Orleans which I mean it's whatever but on the other side it's kind of disappointing but when we get to the series itself I'm waiting to see where it goes it's a will they won't they push pull thing right now the, the next episode is going to be episode 5 I'm not going to say the series is bad because it's one of those things where I need I needed to get to a point where I can definitively say that all right they took a turn that I that makes it hard for me to watch the next episode. So far I need to see the next episode. I see one episode, I need to see the next one. It's when it's waiting for them to lose you. And this is another thing. Shows there are shows that I watch because I'm genuinely interested and excited to see what happens next. Because I liked what happened the last episode. And I liked the direction they headed. Then there's some shows that I watched. Because I want to know where the fuck you're going with this. That would be season 2 of um of Legion. Season 2 of Legion just had me like. I don't know what's going on. I've been watching this for 40 minutes. I feel like it's a fever dream. I feel like I just took peyote. What the fuck is happening? Then in that 45 minutes there's going to be 6 minutes that are concise that are clear that make sense out of that entire 45 50 minutes you got 5 to 8 minutes maybe of something concrete that makes sense that sticks with you and you watch every episode just waiting for that to happen And I feel like I was watching that entire season for the finale and waiting for the payoff, waiting for the payoff. And when the finale happened, we got our payoff. Did we like it? Uh, Remains to be seen, but we got our payoff. Am I mad that I watched that entire season? No. Was it what I expected it to be? No, but of course. That show, every episode lets you know, we're not going to do what we want you to do. We're going to make you watch. And you're going to realize you're not in charge here. The fandom is not in charge here. The writers are. And you may or may not like what happens next, but damn it, you're going to respect it. Or you're just going to stop watching the show. Now, will I watch season three? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Will I watch the next episode of Cloak and Dagger? Yeah, because I want to see where this shit is going. Could there possibly be an episode that hooks me in and has me like, yeah. Now, those first five to six episodes, the seven, eight episodes, make sense. And it all paid off at this episode at this moment. Or it might just be like, eh, this shit is weak. I'm good. I'm disappointed. But again, when you create something you don't know how it's going to be received and you don't know how it's going to go over, you have to make it. It's kind of like if com- in comedy, the, the idea that you don't know if something's funny or if it's going to go over with an audience until you make the joke. And if they don't laugh, 
Now you know. But you have to make the attempt. And it's kind of like that with art. You, there are no fucking guarantees. Right now I'm speaking into a phone. And I'm doing a podcast. I have no idea anyone's going to care or like this episode. But it's something I have to do. It's not something I'm doing in hopes that I get numbers or I'm doing because it's the hot shit that everybody's talking about. It's I'm doing it because this is something I need to get off my chest because this is something that I actually invest time in and I have thoughts about and I can and I quite honestly can't put these thoughts out anywhere else. If I write an article on Medium about my thoughts on the MCU and adaptation and comic books and shit like that. Do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to post it on Medium. I'm going to post the link on um, Facebook. And here's the weird thing about Facebook. You post something on Facebook now. I have like 1,500 fucking Facebook friends. If I post something on Facebook, I might get three likes on it. And I'm somewhat known. I'm somewhat semi-famous. So how come the shit I post on Facebook, the place for friends doesn't go anywhere I have like 2,000 followers on medium I post something on medium that shit might get what 200 reads where these 2,000 motherfuckers that follow me on medium go they don't engage me ever who are these people where do they go when you post something on medium doesn't it go out to everybody who follows you and they send and they send this thing and like oh somebody in your circle or somebody you follow just posted something so wouldn't they click on it apparently they don't i post links on twitter i post links on google plus which is a fucking joke cuz no one uses google plus no one's ever used google plus i think the most i've ever seen people add on a google plus thing is plus 5 and i'm pretty sure nobody read it they just put that plus thing there just to be nice you know and placate somebody you send the shit to dig you're gonna get two digs that's it but the point I'm making is that if I write this thing and post it somewhere it's not gonna gain any traction it's not really gonna go anywhere and it's something I have to get out it's not something that I'm doing because it's the new hot shit everybody's doing and I know I can get a certain amount of money for it because nobody's paying anybody for shit right now perfect example I did a piece about a new edition and Bobby Brown the 20th anniversary the 30th anniversary of Don't Be Cruel and Heartbreak I actually pitched it to certain people. I was recommended somebody at Pitchfork to write about black music. They never responded. Longform put out this feeler and said that we're willing to pay this particular rate to writers of color to pitch us their ideas. I pitched that person, that specific person. I didn't just send it to like. Nobody. I knew the exact person I was supposed to send it to. I got referenced. And I was like, well, here's my idea. Fleshed it out. I did it two weeks ahead of schedule. I can send you a draft. I had written whole shit already. A draft within the next uh, 24 to 48 hours. Let me know. I didn't get a response. And again, I didn't send it to the tips at or... The thing at uh, a person, the direct line, the email not everybody's supposed to have. Heard nothing. What happens? A couple days later, uh, Stereo Williams does a piece about a new edition. But his piece addresses the 30th anniversary of the two albums. But what it all, but what it goes into is the beef, I'm using air quotes, the new edition has over Ralph Tresvant and Johnny Gill apparently trademarked the name new edition but new edition is touring as Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky and Mike RBRM without Ralph and Johnny 
So it's a thing of New Edition has to get back together to tour. And New Edition did tour with the kids and everybody from the New Edition story. But they're not doing another re-up tour when the Bobby Brown story's out. But Bobby Brown's touring with everybody in New Edition except for Ralph and Johnny. When in the day, when the beginning, Ralph and Johnny were beefing because Ralph didn't want Johnny to be in the group. But didn't know that Johnny was being added to the group by Gerald Busby and Mike Bivens. But now they're boys. That's crazy, right? You ever heard of chairman of the board? Go look up who chairman of the board is in the group breakups of New Edition. New Edition always tours as different factions. You could have Bell Biv DeVoe tour. You could have New Edition tour with Johnny and not and not Bobby. But you could also have, I believe it's Bobby. Ralph and Johnny towards chairman of the board. Think about that. Everybody gets their money and then they'll come back together and be new edition. And there's new edition with Bobby and there's new edition without Bobby because Bobby's usually doing other shit. But new edition has has Johnny there. There hasn't been a tour new edition without Johnny lately. It's not the original guys, the original five and not Johnny is often Johnny and not Bobby. But the important thing is you got to get all six guys. And now right and right now they're trying to work out all the kinks and all their beefs or whatever and get back to the all all six guys touring. But the point I'm making is that that's the angle of the story. It's not enough to do the article about the 30th anniversary of New Edition and Bobby Brown, you have to play up the angle of them beefing. Now, as somebody who's from Boston, from Roxbury, let me tell you, they're brothers. They've been dealing with each other since 1978 and on the other side since 1988, if you include Johnny. This will get resolved. This will get handled. They'll be back together. It'll be cool again. I'm not worried about that. But the thing is that that's what sells the story. That's what gets you paid. You have to pitch that angle. All I wanted to do is do a story about highly influential albums from highly influential artists and talk about the the influence and the continuum going forward and how they changed everything in the space of music, black music, pop music, what have you. That's not enough. Okay, so on the other side, uh, yesterday, is today still 25th? Well, today is the 25th, all right. So yesterday was the 30th anniversary of Public Enemy's breakthrough album, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back. So, It Takes a Nation of Millions to Hold Us Back was released on June 24th, 1988. June 24th, 1988 was a Friday. Columbia Records released albums on a Friday. If you go on Wikipedia, it says the album came out June 28th, 1988. That is erroneous. But if you go on Wikipedia, it also tell you that Big Daddy Kane's album, Long Live the Kane, came out on June 28th, 1988. That's also erroneous. It came out on June 21st. 1988. Wait a minute. Didn't earlier I say that New Editions, Heartbreak, and Bobby Brown's Don't Be Cruel were released on June 20th, 1988? How's that possible? Let me explain. On June 13th, 1988, MCA released Guy's album on a Monday. Then the next week, they released New Edition and Bobby Brown's album. On a Monday. The normal release day is a Tuesday. So Warner Brothers, who owned both Cold Chillin' and distributed Tommy Boy, released those albums on a Tuesday. Columbia opted to release their albums on Friday. Moreover, Film studios, rather than release movies on Friday or just Friday, 
released movies on Wednesday. So, Who Framed Roger Rabbit was released on June 22nd, 1988, instead of June 24th, 1988, which would have been Friday. You're like, wait, what? Well, let's go further. Coming to America was released the next week. When? June 29th, 1988. Not June 31st. Is it? Are they 31 days in June? It would have been July 1st. Anyway. But. They didn't release it on the Friday. Why? Because July 1st would have been the day that you have the numbers in for the for the uh, the box office if you go back and check the records you wanted to have the numbers in for the box office it was important to have, be number one at the box office on July 1st 1988 and it was also important to be first over the July 1st week July 4th weekend or July 4th or whenever the weekend is that's crucial that's a big win the studios want that Sometimes you want to have a weak lead or you want to open a movie ahead so you don't have to deal with a movie that might be number one. So you want to be number one before the next movie is number one. If that makes any sense, it should. So if Who Framed Roger Rabbit could be number one before Coming to America comes out and takes the number one spot, you want to be number one. You want to be able to advertise the number one movie in America. All right. So. Conversely, when you release an album on the charts, everybody didn't go out and buy albums the Tuesdays they came out or the Monday, the day they came out. So you want as many days of sales as possible. This is the pre-sound scan era. Okay? So what do you do? You give your album as many days of sales as possible before the 10-day limit comes up and you're eligible to have your album enter the charts on the billboard. This worked well for MCA because both Don't Be Cruel and Heartbreak managed to go up the top black albums and then enter the hot 200 and, you know, climb and climb and climb. It ended up working out for Public Enemy 2 because their album actually went gold in a few months. The thing is, nobody researches. Again, I explained in an earlier episode of this in an earlier episode in this podcast, man. Economically, it doesn't make sense to put all these man hours forth in research. Because if you do a piece that's heavily researched and act like you care about something or do what they call now a legacy piece, what? Or legacy content, they don't think anybody cares. That's why no one did a 30th anniversary piece about Paula Abdul's Forever Your Girl, which is insane because that is a hugely influential album. Especially to the continuum of pop music, R&B, crossover, everything. That album was hot for two years. No one wrote a piece. But you know why no one wrote a piece? Because no one knew when the release date was. Because no one researched the release date. And also, nobody who's writing now, really, who people pay attention to, was old enough to care about an album that came out in 1988. That's just the facts. And Guy, Guy's debut album. Do you know how huge Guy's debut album was? Or its lasting influence on the New Jack Swing continuum and pop music going forward? If you weren't alive in the summer of 1988, if you didn't dance to music in the summer of 98, if you didn't attend parties, go to jams in the summer of 1988, None of this shit will mean anything to you. In 1988, I was everywhere. And I was also in summer school at English High across from my school, Boston Latin, during the height of the crack era. Watching all the finest girls get in the cars that were owned by drug dealers. 
or college guys. Because it seemed like all the finest girls were in summer school. Now, I don't know if y'all know how summer school works, but there's two sessions. There's two. You could. There's most you could do in summer school. Take two classes. It seemed like the finer you were, the dumber you were. So you took multiple classes. And if you only took one class of summer school, God damn it, you hung around. Because the second session is when the baddest girls came out. And also, that's when everybody showed up with their cars and played music. And what did I hear during the summer of 1988 when them cars pulled up? Stetsasonic in full gear. I'll be sure in effect mode. New edition heartbreak. Guy, guy. Bobby Brown, don't be cruel. Tony, 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 who? Troop, troop. Stetsasonic in full gear. MC Light. Light as a rock. Here's another thing. Light as a rock. If you go to Wikipedia and look it up, it says its release date is September 13th, 1988. Mm -mm. It came out either May 31st or June 7th, 1988. May 31st, 1988. What came out then? Uh, This album by Dougie Fresh and the Get Fresh crew. The World's Greatest Entertainer, which was another album that I heard playing in people's cars or their Jeeps. Another album I heard playing, Audio 2's, I Don't Care. Then we get deeper in the summer. We start hearing other albums like Salt and Pepper's Assault with a Deadly Pepper. You know, like, <sighs> Summer 88 was incredible. It cracks me up that Ebro says that we never experienced a summer like this before. Summer 1988 blew a lot of shit out of the water. A reason why summer 1988 was so great is just because the world was just so different and things were on the cusp of changing forever. The golden era was at its height in rap. New Jack Swing had taken over the sound of R&B to the point where a lot of older Artists were pissed off because they had to appeal to the young kids. Perfect example. Rick James released a song called Lucy's Rap featuring um, Roxanne Shante. He did not want to do Lucy's Rap. But it became a hit. And when it became the number one hit in the black music charts, it incensed them even more because people were going to attribute its Number one status, not to Rick, but to the fact that it was a rap. The remix, Big Daddy Kane wrote a rhyme for Slip, for, for Rick James to say. It's on YouTube. Go listen to it. There was just so much going on, man. But the thing is that I could write about the summer of 88. Probably... Pour my life and soul into it. Write it with love. But you know what? Someone has to be willing to pay me for that labor. And right now, nobody is. So what would end up happening? Just like I just talked about the MCU and TV shows and shit like that. Because, quite frankly, I don't want to write it in medium and then have it die after 100 views. And only who knows how many reads. And then me wondering, why do I have 2,000 followers on Medium if nobody ever reads anything? And just being angry and pissed off about it. But just speak about it in this podcast. That maybe some people will enjoy. And some people will listen to once. And never listen to again. Or some people will play again. And maybe they'll be like, yo, you need to hear this. To somebody else. And that's what we do this for. I don't have to fake anything. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to think to myself, oh, should I not say this or should I not do this? Because I might not get certain numbers. Let me just real quick. I'm going to end this podcast, but I need to finish it on this note. Something that blew my mind. I was watching a YouTube creator uh, do a vlog. 
and she was explaining why she hadn't vlogged in a while. And she said that the reason she didn't vlog in a while is because she would vlog. And of course, you know, you when you vlog, you have to do it in public places and it's kind of weird anyway. But people would comment about the things to see she did and said in the vlog and she'd read the comment and it'd make her feel bad. Like, if she looked like she gave somebody a side-eye, people were going to comment about her giving a side-eye. If she said something to her sister that sounded bitchy, then people were going to comment on it. Then she said something that blew my fucking mind. She said that she would say something in conversation and then think to herself, she sounded like a bitch when she said it, and people were going to roast her about it in the comments. So she would say it again differently so she could edit it differently. And maybe avoid that scrutiny. That's fucking insane to me. So one thing I always want to do is whatever the fuck I feel like, however the fuck I feel like, record when I want to about what I want to. I don't care about the numbers because, quite frankly, when I do these 13 episodes, there's going to be episodes you like more than others. There's going to be episodes that you skip. There might be people that like every episode for the fact that I did whatever I wanted in all 13 episodes and they'll be able to appreciate the diversity in it. But I'm not doing it to be diverse because I'm not the same person who cares about the same things every day, every hour, every second. They aren't. I want to talk about different things. If you look at my Instagram I might talk about basketball. I might talk about this. I might talk about this. You read my Twitter feed, I'm going to talk about 50 different things. That's why nobody knows which Twitter I belong to. I just feel like that's what it's like being a person. That's what it's like being human. And in this era of fucking content creation, we've turned life into some stupid shit that we feel like we have to curate every fucking moment and make perfect and bite-sized so people can accept it. If you know me, you know everything I fucking podcast about or tweet about or talk about is shit I talk about every day and it's how I feel every day. I don't want to give you any false idea of what or who I am. I don't edit this shit. I'm talking into my phone in my motherfucking living room at 9.51 a.m. And when I'm done, I'm going to take my phone and upload this fucking podcast at 9.52 a.m. No editing. No curation. Just me. Deal with it.